Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you. Um, there are handouts on the back table there. Um, there are only a few. I just printed um, Divine Begottenness and Procession. Um, a few, printed a few copies of those uh, just in case anybody was interested. That's a, just a little devotion that was uh, put out by Ligonier that I thought gave a helpful summary of some of the things that we were talking about last week. So um, anyhow, just put that out there for you if you'd like it. And Justin, I know. So this week, we are going to be continuing with our next question, question 12. And if you remember from last week, uh, we've gone through the doctrine of Scripture. We've also gotten through the doctrine of God proper, his attributes, um, his personal properties, learning more about the Trinity. Okay, And uh, so now the Westminster Divines move into... God's decrees, okay? So we now know and we confess, we proclaim that God is, and, and he is the living and true God. And what has that God, our God, uh, decreed um, even from all eternity? So we're going to be considering that this morning. But before we begin, let me open us in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, it is a privilege to come together to enjoy uh, each other's fellowship, but also, and most importantly, Lord, to learn from your word. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time and opportunity. We pray that you would bless us, bless our conversation, bless our study, and your spirit write your word deeply in our hearts and minds, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So if you look at your handout there, does everybody have a handout, need a handout? They're on the back table there. You can grab one. Um, what I'm going to be doing, since there are a lot of questions and a lot more questions in the larger catechism than in the shorter catechism, is that we're going to kind of be doing our review portions of the class in groups of ten. Um, and so next week, I'll have a, a new set of review questions that we'll open with as we've been doing thus far. Uh, but this morning, I thought that we would just go ahead and dive in directly into uh, question number 12. So if you have your hand out there, again, I'll read the question and let's say the answer together. What are the decrees of God? The decrees, decrees are the wise, free, and holy acts of the counsel of his will, whereby from all eternity he hath for his own glory unchangeably foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in time especially concerning angels and men. All right, very good. So there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack, and you'll uh, thank me later, I'm sure. We're not going to try to get into a second question of question 13 today. We'll, we'll focus on question 12. But what is then the focus of this question and answer in question 12? Um, now that we know who God is and what is true of him, God wants us to know what he has declared. And God has an inclusive and an exact plan for the universe that he has created. He has an inclusive and an exact plan 
for the universe that he has created. And so we're going to consider three big things here as we kind of look at the answer that the divines have provided. First, we're going to consider the nature of God's decrees. Um, second, the ultimate purpose of his decrees. And thirdly, um, what is true of his decrees? What are his decrees? And um, so as we look, though, at the nature of his decrees, uh, we see that they are the acts of the counsel of his will. And uh, what three things are used? What three words are used there to describe these acts of the counsel of his will? Yeah, wise, free, and holy, exactly. And what does it mean that God's decrees are wise? His decrees are in perfect harmony with his own perfect wisdom. Okay? In his wisdom, God directs the use of the right means to attain the right ends. Okay? So that's, I think, a good way of describing how his decrees are wise. And what does it mean that God's decrees are free? Well, his decrees aren't constrained or influenced by anything outside of his own nature. Much like, much like his ontology, right? Much like, much like his being. Right? God is independent. He's not dependent or constrained on any of his creation, right? Or by any of his creation. The same is true of his decrees. And what does it mean, then, that God's decrees are holy? His decrees are in perfect harmony with his own perfect holiness as well, and are therefore utterly free from sin. Right? And that's important to understand. All three of these are important to understand equally, but it's important to understand um, that his decrees are holy in that sense that they are utterly free from sin. So as we consider God's decrees, some of them, for example, one of God's decrees and eternal decrees is predestination. Some people really struggle with predestination. Right? And how God could make such a decree, um, as the Bible teaches us what that means, right? And so, but it's important to understand that his decrees are holy. Okay? So we consider these things as this foundational base as we then move into what his decrees are. And how do we know that his decrees are wise, free, and holy? How do, how do we know these things to be true? Let's look at first, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, 7 through 12. And if somebody could grab Isaiah 45, 6 and 7. And if someone else could grab Romans 9, 14 through 18, that would be great. So in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul really begins with a wonderful picture. Right? I've commented many times about it before, but Paul really begins with a wonderful picture of, of God and his blessedness of, of God and his work of redemption in such a grand picture in detail. Um, and so in verses 7 through 12, in verse 7, we begin, 
in him, meaning in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that the that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined, notice, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to what? The counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Amen. Praise God. So we see wonderful things here about his decrees. Right? Um, we see him having, look at verse in verse 8, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Okay? Having made known to us the mystery of his will. Okay? He didn't keep that hidden. He revealed to us what is wonderful and important for us to know about uh, his wisdom and about uh, redemption. It was all according to his good pleasure. Right? And as we look then at verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined, right? According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So an important thing to understand then, and, and this builds upon this, this supports what the divines are saying, but we see the wonderful fruit of that, right? We see the wonderful application of that, and that if he's doing all of these things, right, according to the counsel of his will, it's good to know what is true about the counsel of his will. And that it is wise and free and holy. Right? It's good to know uh, that aspect and, and uh, uh, that aspect of our God. Isaiah 45, verses 6 and 7. Who has that? Go for it, Chad. That they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none beside thee. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Okay, very good. That is a text that supports, of those three things, of wise, free, and holy, what does that passage teach us and support? Which one of those? supports and teaches us that he is free, right? He is independent of his creation. He is ase. He is self-sufficient. Very good. Romans chapter 9, does somebody have 14 through 18? Good one. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills and pardons. Yeah, amen. So we see aspects of his wisdom there, but we also see aspects of him being free, right? He is the potter. We are the clay. 
he is the one who has made the decree and the determination according to his perfect sovereign will of who will be the vessels of dishonor and honor. Romans chapter 11, just a couple of chapters after that. Romans chapter 11. Go for it. Indeed, so we see how Scripture teaches us about his wisdom here, right? And about the depths of it. It's, it's limited. It's limitless. Um, man cannot measure it, right? Man cannot search his judgments and his ways and come to a full understanding um, as if we could move all around it and observe it and make, a, and, uh, make observation. We can't. And so we see his infinite wisdom here um, on display, even in his decrees. And so the divines go on in the second part here to talk to us also then about what the ultimate purpose of his decrees are. This is the nature of his decrees, but what is the purpose of his decrees? Why has he made such decrees? Look at, stay in Romans chapter 9 and let's uh, look at, or I guess go back to it rather. And let's look at verses 22 through 24. 22 through 24, there we read, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory, notice, on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand, notice, for glory. Even us, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So what do we see? Front and center here, in front of our eyes, the glory of God. Right? The glory of God, that he would make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. So we see both his purpose and the preparation there all in one. And so what else are are true or what other things are true regarding his decrees the divines pointed out here? The divines pointed us to the unchangeable foreordination of what comes to pass in time, particularly regarding angels and men. Now, what does foreordination mean? Does anybody have a grasp on that? You think you have a, an easy way or a simple way to, uh, to explain what foreordination means? Pre-purpose. Man, one word. Come on. Yeah, you win the simple awards today. The simple way of it. Yeah, pre-purpose. Okay. Very good. Yeah, so we're we're thinking about God's appointing beforehand whatsoever comes to pass 
in the created universe and that happening from all eternity, right? Outside of time, right? Before and from all eternity. And so how is foreordination different from predestination? How is foreordination different from predestination? I'm going to ask this on the floor of Presbytery in Caleb's exam. <laughs> Actually, I might. <laughs> yes, it is. Fantastic, isn't it, Amber? So, how is foreordination different from predestination? Predestination is concerned about God's decrees regarding the eternal destiny of angels and men. Okay, so we we just said that foreordination. Right, is God's appointing beforehand whatsoever comes to pass in the created universe. Okay, predestination is different in that it's concerned about God's decrees regarding the eternal destiny of angels and men. And so this doctrine about God's decrees teaches us seven important things. And by the way, I'll plug the little book here. It's it's well, it's a rich book. I won't say it's little. But um, I would encourage you to read it, and that is uh, Lorraine Bettner's, uh, B-O-E-T-T-N-E-R, Lorraine Bettner's uh, book called The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. It's excellent. Lorraine Bettner was a scholar. Uh, He's written a lot of things. He's even done some eschatological writings. He has a book called The Millennium that's also good. But anyhow... On this subject, the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination by Lorraine Bettner is, is excellent. So, but this doctrine about God's decrees teaches us seven important things. First, that God has foreordained all things that come to pass. Okay? All things that happen. Secondly, that this foreordination is eternal. Third, that there is nothing too big or too small that can be excluded from his foreordaining all that comes to pass. In other words, God didn't skip over some things. He didn't say, oh, that's so minute. You know, it's not really all that important or worthwhile. I'm not really interested in foreordaining that. No, he foreordained all that comes to pass, large and small. Fourthly, that this does not, God's decrees, do not make him the author of sin. We're going to consider that more in a second. Do not make him the author of sin. Fifth, God doesn't force men and women to do what they don't want to do in the way of sin. Sixthly, this doesn't destroy freedom and, or, excuse me, or cause and affect relationships. Okay, some may argue that, right? Well, if God has made these decrees from all eternity, if he's foreordained everything that comes to pass, then what about freedom? And what about cause and effect relationships? In fact, it not only doesn't destroy freedom or cause and effect relationships, but rather it's the basis on which they exist. I mean, we really need to grasp that. It's the basis on which they exist. And seventh, the sovereign plan of God isn't conditioned on anything foreseen by him. You may have heard me say before, he didn't look down the corridors of time 
to decide what he was going to decree in eternity past. For if his plan was conditioned on anything, that would that would make God one. It would make him dependent on something else. And that's not true of God. Right? God is independent. He is self-sufficient. So I'll say that again. For if his plan was conditioned on anything, that would that would make God dependent on something else. If his plan was conditioned on anything, that would make God dependent on something else. So let's talk briefly of the reality of the free actions of men also being predestined by God. These actions, notice, are both free and predestined at the same time. And how can this be true? Those who do various things do so because they want to. And yet, the acts they do are predetermined by God so that the scripture says they must happen. Okay, for example, let's look at Matthew 18, verse 7. Look at Matthew 18, verse 7. Okay, Christ says, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man... By whom the offense comes. You hear that? Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Right? This statement recognizes two things, right? It recognizes first the certainty of the occurrence of a future event. The offense must come. And secondly, that those who will perform the act will do so freely and therefore bear the guilt of doing it. Do you see that? And we find another example in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. back up to verse 22 just for reading context. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Okay, so we see that same truth to be here as well, don't we? The certainty of the occurrence of a future event, right? 
is by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. But yet those who would perform the act, they had lawless hands, right? And they crucified and put to death Christ. And they bore the guilt of that. And so this also helps us then to understand, in thinking about God's decrees, the truth that God isn't the author of sin. We've talked briefly about this in some previous classes, but while God controls and restrains human sinfulness, he is not responsible for the actions of wicked people. His sovereign government over everything is maintained, but he is not responsible for sin. Fallen men are responsible for their actions. We are endowed with freedom to act according to our nature, and because our nature is fallen, because it's depraved and sinful, apart from the grace of God, we freely sin. And when God hardens the hearts of people like Pharaoh, he is not compelling them to act contrary to anything within themselves. And so mankind will continue to sin freely as long as God permits it. Let's look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. You've already gotten through James 1 in your preaching series, right, Kim? Excellent. James chapter 1, specifically verses 13 and 14. James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And we can back up to 12 for context. Can someone read that? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast in the trial. But when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he has said that I am being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted with when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown. So we see here the origins of sin, right? We see how sin comes and rises up within the heart of man and comes into action in life, brings forth death, right? But James here teaches us that God is not the author of sin, right? We cannot say that we have been tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil and he does not tempt anyone. Again, why? We go back to his attributes. We go back to his person. We go back to his character. We go back to his nature. He is perfect. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. And if he wasn't, uh, then he wouldn't be God. And so therefore, as the, right, the righteous, justice, and perfect and holy God, he is also then the one that does not tempt anyone but this is important for us today in life, isn't it, as well? Because there are many conversations, maybe there have even been thoughts within your own heart and lives about um, where does sin come from and why do I sin? We understand our sin nature, 
when we, we learn that doctrine and teaching from Scripture, but even uh, even amongst in other conversations, you know, you see common phrases that are used today, right? Like the devil made me do it, or other things like that in terms of why do we sin against the Holy God, right? Well, here James helps provide in a very clear, step-by-step way of how this progression develops. So I encourage you to memorize that passage and to, to study it even more. So how do we, though, know God's decrees are the unchangeable foreordination of what comes to pass in time? Right? The unchangeable foreordination of what comes to pass in time. If you think about it, his decrees are much a reflection of his being. God is immutable. We studied that in his as an incommutable attribute of God. Right? One that is only true of him. Um, and here we find that his decrees, his eternal decrees, are unchangeable. Um, let's look at Psalm 33, verse 11. And if somebody, uh, again, could grab Isaiah 14, 24. Um, I read it a little bit beforehand, but Acts 2.23 and then Acts 4.27 and 28. Somebody else can grab those. Yeah, go for it. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Okay. What's that? (laughs) So... Read that passage again. Read that verse again. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Okay. What about that teaches us? How does that verse teach us that God's decrees are the unchangeable coordination of what comes to pass in time? So this gives us, by the way, the immutability of God and the unchangeable nature of his foreordination of what comes to pass. Both of these things should bring great joy to our hearts, right? These are exciting truths that God reveals to us. Because we could talk about many other things, too, in relation to it on a deeper theological level. But plainly plainly, uh, speaking... Um, this gives us uh, much confidence that our God is not just a, a, a flip-floppy God, right? That it's kind of like he's a moody God that, you know, he could be one way and have one decree one day, kind of like human kings, right? Have one decree one day, and then on the next day he changes his mind and he's doing something else, right? Um, and uh, And so therefore, we have no... You know that affects our, our trust, our assurance of things, our confidence. We we don't know where he would be at and what he would be thinking. Um, and uh, but that is not true of God. His his counsel stands forever. And so therefore, also, uh, it's good for our generation, as has been true in the generations that have preceded us, 
to stand and to proclaim these truths, to believe these truths, to take joy from these truths, and to pass that on to our children. So kids, even as you are sitting here today and you look around you and you see other generations that are older than you here today, right, your parents and even older, older generations beyond that, right, you can take and understand that this same truth was belie- is believed by your parents, believed by your grandparents, believed by great-grandparents, and so forth and so on, right? For God's counsel stands forever. And it's multi-generational, multi-generational promises to the people of God. Isaiah 14, 24. Who has that? The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Yeah. So shall it be, so shall it stand. Great assurances. Acts 2, 23. That's Acts 2.23. Go for it. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by a lawless hand, have crucified and put to death. Okay. So we see, this even touches on the covenant of redemption that was made between the members of the Godhead in eternity past, right? That this plan of what Christ would come and do and accomplish for us was determined beforehand. It never changed, right? It never changed, but it was something that was to happen in time. In time, in the fullness of time. So if you think about it too, you're seeing we, we, we are seeing a unique and wonderful picture of the God who exists outside of time, beyond time, who always has been and ever will be, who has then made decrees that would happen in time after he created time. And now these things are coming to pass in time. Right? So you see this this wonderful connection and You see the distinctions, but you see the connection between eternity and then God breaking into time. Yeah. Yeah, It's always been helpful for me to understand and break it down between the decretive will and the precepted will. Because people ask me all the time, this prayer seems like like, Right. The answer says no. But you understand it from a decretive and precepted. Yeah. Right, so to pray, um, like, like praying for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, goes back to 
was going to need to go back and forth. And, and it looks like God's changing his mind. Well, no, that was part of God's decretive will that that would happen. God would change his mind. Um, so any time we pray, Yeah. No, and, and right, right, right. No, that's good. Acts four twenty-seven and twenty-eight. You have it. Read it out loud. what do we see there in 27? Right? There is this word about Christ and him being the holy servant right, who is anointed. But look at verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your purpose, de- your purpose determined before to be done. Right? When Christ came in time to accomplish our redemption, what did he say time and time again, even from his own mouth in the Gospels? He came to do his Father's will. He came to carry out the mission that the Father had laid out before him. Right? Um, and, uh, and so we see uh, that kind of from another perspective here in verse 28. Right? To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before be done. So, these are wonderful truths regarding the decrees of God. The divines go on to say in the last clause of the question, right? They say that uh, not only um, are his decrees the unchangeable, foreordained uh, uh, work of whatever will come to pass, or will of God, but especially, they say, concerning angels and men. And this is where the following questions continue. And so we'll pick up with a couple of those questions uh, next time, Lord willing. It'd be good to do a little uh, study on angelology and study of angels. Um, and uh, the divines walk us through some important aspects of that in, in regards to his decrees. So... Um, Any questions about what we've studied here today?